you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Move the Sticks. For today's podcast, we have a special football-baseball crossover focused on team building. You know him as the lead draft analyst on NFL Network. He's also a color commentator for the Los Angeles Chargers. He's scouted for the Ravens, Browns, and Eagles. It's Daniel Jeremiah. He played five years in the NFL as a cornerback and return man, scouted for the Seahawks and Panthers, and was a legend for the Tar Heels. It's Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky here for Move the Sticks. And Bucky, a little, uh, a little different show we have today, but I think everybody's going to enjoy it. Yeah, I think this is a great opportunity for us to do what we love to do, which is cross-training when it comes to team building. So we're doing a baseball show. We sat down with former players, current coaches, media members, GMs to talk about the game and how it relates to baseball. Yeah, I get a chance to see how the we believe, we preach, right? It's our gospel. We preach the gospel of multi-sports uh, for young guys coming up. We don't want kids to specialize. We want them to play multiple sports 
We think it really helps them in their overall athletic development, and we've seen that from football players. Now we're seeing it in other sports when we get a chance to talk to these guys, uh, specifically talking to these baseball guys. is really fascinating. So I had a chance to go down to the winter meetings and talk with a bunch of folks, and we've had others like John Smoltz join us uh, on the podcast. So what we've done is we've taken a collection of these conversations. I think you guys are really going to enjoy them. Um, but first of all, Bucky, it's great to have baseball back. It, it, it's, uh, it looks like it's actually going to happen. So, you know, we're football guys, but we also keep an eye on, uh, on the bat and the ball as well. Yeah, man, I love it. Baseball, admittedly, is my first love. Um, I loved it coming up. I love keeping the score when I watched it on TV. I love going to games, any games, particularly Dodger games. So I'm excited that baseball is back. I am really, really looking forward to the season kicking off. All right, with, uh, with no further ado, let's jump in here. This is a conversation starting off with Cubs general manager Jed Hoyer. Jed Hoyer, I remember him from the Padres. He was their GM from 2009 to 2011. He was with the Red Sox during their run uh, from 02 to 09 and, and really kind of the resurgence of that franchise there with Theo Epstein. Now he's back with Theo Epstein with the Cubs. He's been the general manager there since 2011 and really enjoyed sitting down and visiting with him at the baseball winter meetings. From where this started at this event to where it is now, what's the biggest difference? Uh, the biggest difference, uh, the two, two big things. The size of the thing is totally different. And now it's all these radio and, and TV you know, stations. Um, every job seeker in the world is here trying to, trying to get their 30 seconds in. Um, that's different. It used to be a little bit smaller. There was always every team, like all the affiliates, all the teams. But it wasn't just massive media production. Uh, now it's a little bit made for TV. Everyone knows about it. Everyone shows up. Uh, that's different. So the size is different. And then from my standpoint, the biggest difference is it used to be people would leave their rooms. Uh, you would have meetings with teams. So you'd have a whiteboard. You'd have someone manning the, the hotel phone. And then you would you know, have a list of meetings with all the teams that day. And there was a protocol that went with how the, the meetings would go. Um, there was a, you know, sort of a, a strategy. Like some, some GMs would sit in a higher chair than everyone else and try to you know, get some intimidation factor. Um, but you'd have some face-to-face -face negotiations and face-to-face -face meetings. And now, other than seeing your buddies with the other teams you know, after midnight or something like that, you really no face-to-face -face meetings. It's all phone calls, all text. And it's taking a little bit of the, um, the fun away from it, honestly. I, I liked the in-person stuff. Uh, you don't see these people every day, so it's nice to see people in person and, and learn how to negotiate face-to-face, -face, and, and that part's a little bit gone. I'm curious, just from the end of the season, from a football standpoint, the season ends. Um, we, you try and put together your, your outlook for what you want to get accomplished in the offseason, free agency, uh, trades, the draft, all that stuff, trying to lay that out. Baseball-wise, from the last game of the season, how long before you guys have kind of mapped out at least the road you, you want to try and travel down here in the offseason? Yeah, I, I feel like... You try to spend a lot of September uh, talking about that. You, you can't make a lot of roster moves uh, at that point. You're, 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 make, you're doing small things on, with the team. So you, you spend a lot of time in September doing planning. You hope in October you're wrapped up in the playoffs. If you're not, that's a big planning month. Mm -hmm. Now, the biggest difference now is that it, um, as our staffs have gotten bigger, November has turned into a hiring month. Mm -hmm. Now, it used to be a month that was all planning, and then you'd hit the ground running at the GM meetings, and, and, and right away guys would be signing. Now I think everything's slower, and part of why it's slower is we have so much hiring to do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you used to have a one or two person, you know, research and development staff, and now you might have, you know, up to twenty people. Um, and so there's with, with more bodies, there's more hiring, and so that's the difference. Everything's gotten pushed back by a few weeks or a month um, because of the hiring season. Uh, takes away from that planning time a little bit. From a leadership standpoint within an organization, um, 
from the outside looking in, the NFL, the way it's done, a lot more of a hierarchy where it's almost like a, a, a monarchy, so to speak. Baseball, it seems from the outside more collaborative with a, with a group kind of coming together on some key decisions. What, what is it like on the inside from that standpoint? I think so. I think with the NFL, there's a lot more say, uh, say with the head coach yeah. and, the, and the coordinators. Yeah. Um, you know, our coaching staff's great. Um, we will ask their opinions. We'll ask them to watch a little bit of video on players. But for the most part, we're relying on, you know, our scouts, relying on the R&D staff to make those decisions. You're not really focused at all on, you know, um, on uh, kind of the scheme or things yeah. like that. Whereas I think in, in the NFL, you know, in, in a lot of situations, the head coach is kind of um, – their opinions trickling down throughout the organization, and, and that doesn't really happen. I think that's a big difference. And um, I also think we're just dealing – the NFL is dealing with, dealing with more players on the team. Mm -hmm. We're dealing with a much big, much bigger staff and, and, and a lot more, and a big minor league system, and I yeah. think that's a bit of a difference as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that you know, if we were only dealing with a 53-man roster but no minor leagues, um, it may be able to be a little bit more of like a monarchy, whereas I think when you have to deal with you know, over 200 players in the organization and a – you know, a 40-round draft and things mm -hmm. like that. I think it almost has to be more collaborative because one person sort of can't have the same level of influence that they might be able to um, with a seven-round draft. No doubt. When, when we're building teams, we always talk about the fastest way of the postseason is to win your division. So you kind of construct your roster. Having, you know, worked in the AFC North, it was like we have to be physical and rugged because you're Baltimore, Pittsburgh, you know, Cincinnati, Cleveland, the weather. Um, but now I think about baseball, the places where you've worked, ballpark um you know whether the finances within the division when you're when you're uh, creating your major league roster how much do you factor in all that in your division when you're trying to make decisions a little bit you know um for example um our division has had almost all right-hand starters for a few years so that's always been a factor you know if you, if you have a, a right-handed platoon hitter let's say he's not gonna have a big factor in our division um, whereas he was playing the National League West, they have a ton of really good lefties. You know, they've got Kershaw, Ryu, Bumgarner in the past. So that kind of right-handed hitter will have a, uh, a bigger impact. So little things like that with the makeup of, of your team. Uh, but the ballpark is a really big difference. Um, one of the things I like about Chicago and Wrigley is that it, it's, it's kind of like a different ballpark every day. Like some days the wind's blowing in and it's the, the best pitcher's park in the world. You know, some days you get those famous, you know, wind blowing out games where you know it's going to be 13 to 12. Um, so I feel like you just have to put a really balanced team together. You can't, you can't build a team for the elements. Whereas you know, when I was in Boston, you wanted you know, left-hand hitters that could use the monster. That was a, a, a big focus. And right-hand pull hitters. When I was in San Diego, you had to have fast outfielders. And um, you knew that you could uh, take a lot of chances on young pitching because the ballpark would make them feel real good about themselves. So... I think in, in, in Chicago, it's just a fair, it's a fair ballpark that plays different ways. And so it's actually taken the ballpark um, thought process out of our head for the most part. Curious on this one specific question with uh, we talk about receivers having experience being outfielders in high school and how their ability to track the football, it really parallels and correlates. Have you guys ever been in scouting meetings where you've talked about an, an outfielder that was a receiver and said the same thing? We haven't, you know, but I will say we love multi-sport athletes you know it's just i feel like with the specialization today you know getting guys have had to compete in, in in other sports you know i love it when our scouts will go to go to watch a high school basketball game watch the kid play basketball or go to a football game um it, it, gets, it gives a sense of athleticism it gives a sense of competitiveness um and uh 
it also means they're not, probably not going to burn out of baseball in the same way. Some of the, some of these kids that they've been pushed and, and showcased through their whole life, like you do worry about the burnout, especially in some of the southern states where they're playing year round. Yeah. So now uh, we've never really talked about that in terms of a receiver or, or um, position specific, but we definitely talk about it in terms of. Um, overall athleticism and, and, and competitiveness and just sense of how to play a game. When you talk about that competitiveness, um, trying to gauge that during a baseball player with an evaluation of a baseball game, what are like concrete examples where you can say that kid's competitive? Um, that's a great question. I, I feel like um, it's hard to define. I think when you're watching a game, um, that's where TV doesn't do a game justice. I think when you're in the, in the stands and you can watch a starting pitcher, you can see how he reacts, you know, to an error by by his team. You can see how he reacts to, you know, having you know second, third, and no one out. Can he bear down and and really you know and have his stuff t uh, stuff tick up a notch, or is he gonna gonna melt? You know, and I always remember when I was in Boston, for example, you know, with Roy Halladay, we faced him like six times a year, and you felt like you had to hit homers against him because. You know, when you hit a single and then you double off the wall and it was second, third, you're like, ah, we missed our chance. Because now he's going to bear down and, and it's amazing. And, you know, weak round ball of third, strikeout, you know, pop up and it was out of the inning. And, you know, he had that ability. You know, Schilling had that ability. Uh, you know, Josh Beckett had that ability. When when they were, you know, backs against the wall, there was a whole nother gear that they could they could get to. You know, Verlander, you see that all the time. Uh, and that, that's what it says to me, you know, when you can really, when you can really bear down and, and have your stuff tick up a notch, that's the guy you – you think is going to perform in the playoffs. That's the guy you think is you, you want in, in, in a game seven. Um, and I think offensively, um, I like to see how guys react to a bad call. Yeah. Um, you like to see how guys react to a bad at bat. Um, you know, in my career, the best I ever saw was Manny Ramirez. Um, it just felt like his memory, he, he took, he took um, the information from a pitch, but he never took the emotion from that pitch. So he could take the worst swing you've ever seen, he could have the worst at bat, but you knew the next at bat, like that was irrelevant. He was going to have a great at bat. Um, and, and so I feel like you know, watching a guy and, and how, he, how, how does a guy react to a bad calls, bad at bats, is he gonna panic for the rest of the game? If he struck out twice in the first two at bats, is he gonna you know, auto hack on the first pitch and the third at bat so he doesn't strike out? And those are the kind of things you wanna see because the best hitters don't care about those first two at bats. It's all about the next at bat. Um, some of the younger guys or some of the more mentally weak players will will panic in that third at bat because they know they're having a bad day. It's yeah, fascinating to me. Uh, last question. I'm curious about this one. Russell Wilson comes out into the draft. Obviously, baseball background yeah. there as well, but he's an outlier, right? I mean, I remember being in the meetings before the Senior Bowl. We assumed he was going to be right around six foot, maybe a little under six foot. He checks in at five ten and three eighths at the Senior Bowl. I'm in Philadelphia. We end up dropping him down. We still think we're going to get him in the third round. And we yeah. end up not getting him. Seattle takes him. But somebody like an Altuve or throw out whoever else you want that's an outlier, in the meetings when you guys are going through these players, what's that discussion like? <laughs> you ask a guy that uh, we, we, we uh, drafted Dustin Pedroia in the second round, and you had the best college numbers, you know, by far. I think today, if you had those same numbers, he'd probably go in the top five. But, but back then, it was, you know, this guy's tiny, he doesn't have a great body, and somehow he just gets hits unconventionally. Um, it's one of the beauties of baseball. Actually, I was thinking this. One of our scouts used to call him a wedding cake model, which I thought was a, which I thought was a, that was a great line. But um, that's one of the things I love about baseball is that, you know, I think I, you know, you watch NFL games and, um, you know, 
those guys are just absolute physical freaks, you know, and, and um, it's, it's obviously fun to watch. I think one of the things with baseball is that it's a different kind of athleticism. You get incredible hand-eye coordination. So you watch the Astros, you know, Bregman's not a super physical guy. Altuve's really, you know, really small. You go around the league, you can have, you know, Mookie Betts is, is, is a pretty slender guy. Uh, you can have tremendous power um, if you're like, you know, great hands, great forearms, you know, really good bat speed, and and you have a, a swing that, you know, gives you the right launch angle. These guys can hit a lot of home runs without being, you know, tremendously physical. Now, you obviously got your Stans and your Judges and Chris Bryants and guys like that that are big yeah. and physical, but it's a sport where, you know, guys can perform and, guy, and guys can have uh, a lot of success without necessarily um, being at the, you know, tip of the spear athletic, athletically in terms of, you know, body size and body composition. And I think that's great. You know, it, it's... Um, I think it's a sport where you know part of the allure is you can watch the game on TV and you can imagine your, yourself doing it. You know, and whereas I, I feel like when you watch a football game now or an NBA game, yeah, you know, different. it's just a different world. And and I think that um, their scouts are looking at a lot of different things. And, and, and the measurables are so important. I think in baseball, um, just having you know crazy lead hand eye coordination still makes a big difference. Yeah, I just I hit it off with Jed Hoyer. It was great to catch up with him. The line I love, by the way, and you're looking for scouting terms. He used the wedding cake model to describe an undersized player. Uh, I, I got to use that for football now, Buck. No, I loved it. And I love the conversation about Russell Wilson and uh, DJ. Look, I, I, I have a son who plays baseball and we always talk about like guys who make it or whatever. And the beauty of baseball is you don't necessarily have to fit into a certain box to be able to do it. And I like hearing general managers talk about thinking outside of the box, looking for a different level of athlete. No doubt. Well, it was great to catch up with Jed Hoyer. If you enjoyed that, you're definitely going to enjoy this conversation because uh, this is one of the bright general managers in Major League Baseball who's done a wonderful job of turning around a franchise. That's Thad Levine, the Twins general manager. He was hired there in 2016. Uh, he was with the Rangers previously and, and for a long time, from 2005 through 2016, and then uh, began there with the Rockies in 1999 through 2005. So a lot of experience in the sport, but really one of the very bright, smart general managers in Major League Baseball. Here's my conversation. Thad, thanks so much for, for taking the time uh, for me today. A lot of people ask us on the personnel side how we got started, and I always yeah. think that's a fascinating story. So how would you get your start? I, I think the short answer is it was a lot of hard work and perseverance, but also a tremendous amount of luck. Mm -hmm. uh, when I graduated from college, I applied to all the baseball teams at that time, and I got rejected formally by four, and I was ecstatic. <laughs> I thought I had almost <laughs> arrived. I actually still have a letterhead from the Montreal Expos from Mr. Claude Brochu, who said that he, I was not good enough for their organization. And I thought, I was on the doorstep at that point. Ended up going to graduate school, worked for the Dodgers for academic credit while I was there on the business side. Brilliant move, by yeah. the way. Ultimately, I uh, then got hired by the Colorado Rockies. Feel blessed to have done that. Now, you get a chance to start there with the Colorado Rockies. You've had a chance to almost get a holistic view of, of the entire operation. For somebody that's going to be in a leadership position, how important is it that you're not just really on one track or on one side, that you get exposed to everything? I think it's vital. You know, I, I think being able to relate to everybody in your organization and understand what their roles and responsibilities include is imperative to being able to motivate them and kind of touch their hearts as well as their heads. And, and I think that was something that I, I feel really blessed. I've, I was around some tremendous people in my career. Uh, Dan O'Dowd gave me my first start. I, I'm so much indebted to him, uh, both as a mentor and as a, a true, genuine friend throughout my career. Uh, I've gotten a chance to work with Josh Burns, with Michael Hill, with Billy Epler, with Jerry Depoto, with Scott Service, and those were just the guys that were with us in Colorado. We had 
Dan, uh, John Daniels was there, Matt yeah. Clentac. At one point, I think we had seven guys who went on to become general managers or managers in the in the big leagues. And at that time, of course, I didn't know the strength of the staff other than they seemed to be really impressive to me and, and just truly great friends and mentors. But I think those guys really helped shape me in my career. And then go on to Texas where I got to work with guys like John Hart, John Daniels again, Josh Boyd, Mike Daly, and just people who really, I think, took genuine care in challenging me to become a better person. And finally, I, my last stop in my career has been with the Minnesota Twins, which I've had a little bit more of ownership and shaping and yeah. giving those opportunities to other people. And I think that started with Dan O'Dowd. And I think now I'm getting a chance to give back to the next generation of people who will be built up in this game. But Dan, one of the many things he taught me early was surround yourself with a lot of people smarter than you are, and you may be very <laughs> successful as a result. I'm certainly taking that to heart now. I love that. I want to go to this Minnesota Twins situation when you take over. Um, your first meeting there with the organization, you get the whole group together. What was the message that you delivered at that point in time? You know, I, I think the challenge we had, so I came on board at the same time as Derek Falvey. Derek came from the Cleveland Indians. I came from the Texas Rangers. And I think the one thing that the ownership, uh, the Polad family asked us to do was honor the traditions of the Minnesota Twins, but just absolutely infuse as much as you can of the best of the Twins with the best of the Rangers, with the best of the Cleveland Indians. And ideally from that will come a great organization. And we've taken that to heart. So we've honored the tradition of the Twins. We've tried to capitalize on some of the best elements that that organization had to, to, had to bear. And then we've also tried to progress it forward with some of the things that Texas had done successfully, some of the things that Cleveland had done successfully. And observationally, I think they were strategic in bringing both Derek and myself in because Cleveland had just played in the World Series in 2017, 16. Uh, the Texas Rangers had played in 2010 and 11, and we had all done it very differently. So Cleveland came from a little bit more of a analytic standpoint and it's systems-based decision-making, whereas Texas was a little bit more scout-based decision-making. Both franchises had realized some success, marry that up with what Minnesota was doing, and I think we've now melded together to be, once again, the charge was the best of Minnesota, Texas, and, and Cleveland. I think we've taken that one step further because we brought in a lot of people from other organizations as well with the one singular goal is tell us what is the best element that your organization did and let's try to incorporate it into what we're trying to do here. I absolutely love that. When you look at the success you guys are coming off of this past season, is there a moment in the off season? Is it early in the season? When do you realize, okay, this thing's really starting to come together here? You know, it's a great question. And I think one of the biggest challenges of this job is that every day you either win or lose. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't afford you much of a chance to really relish where you are in the season. So a lot of what you just asked, you do see kind of in retrospect at the end of the season. That being said, I will say this. We, we were uh, 54 games into the season. We were 20 games over 500. Yeah. And I did pull some of the guys together in the front office, some of the guys who maybe hadn't had as many years in the game as I had, it just said, cherish this. Mm -hmm. Because you we're not entitled to go 20 games over 500 for any period of time, let alone over just the first 54 games of the season. Enjoy this. Like, we don't know what this rest of the season will bring. This is a tremendous success for this franchise. You could just feel the energy that our fans were having built around the team. Just absorb that in. Just for a moment, cherish it. And so I do think you've got to try to slow the game down at times. Because mm -hmm. if you don't, 
there's a game the next day and there's a game the next day and you never really get to revel in those moments of success. This year was so special for the Minnesota Twins because not only do we get to 101 games, which by the way, I've never done in my entire career. I actually started off the meetings here. Uh, we have a lot of our scouts. We've got a lot of our player development people here. People who've been with the organization for 30 years. Yeah. And I asked, raise your hand if you've ever been with an organization that won more than 100 games. There was one man in the room who worked for the Seattle Mariners when they won 116. Outside of that, wow. there was nobody else in the room who had won 100 games. Yeah. We didn't do what we wanted to do in the playoffs. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. This, the, the season didn't end exactly as we had hoped. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take away from the accomplishments the team had. Everyone talks about the home run record, but we also set a record for most strikeouts by our pitching staff. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of individual achievements that were just so, so glorious to watch. It doesn't diminish the season, the fact that we ended with a, with a loss to the New York Yankees. It's fascinating to me to watch how this thing comes together. And when I we look at scouting on the football side, we talk about building your team for your division, and then there's building your team for the postseason. Yeah. When you're when you're in baseball, building your your roster at the major league level, how much do you take into account who's in your division, as well as also, okay, now we want to get to the tournament. But then once we get to the tournament, we need to have this in order to get the whole thing done. I think you laid it out just just exactly right right there because I think in baseball it, it mirrors what's going on in the NFL. We have the wild card track to get to the playoffs. Our goal this past off season, as we were sitting here preparing for the 2019 season, was to control your own destiny. We wanted to play home playoff games. To play home playoff games games, plural, ideally, you have to play a series. To yeah. play a series, you got to win your division. And so we were primarily focused on the Cleveland Indians. We were in a division where there's a clear-cut champion. The, the mm -hmm. Cleveland Indians had won our division for three consecutive years. We viewed them as a class of the division mm -hmm. and that we had to unseat them. So we tried to build a team that could be as competitive as possible within our division. We felt that that was a necessary next step for the franchise. Now, as you just illuminated in your question, now the challenge is different. The challenge is, if we are fortunate enough to get back to the playoffs, how do we excel once we're in the playoffs? And I don't know if it translates into the NFL. The, the Major League Baseball, it's very distinctive, the, the regular season from the postseason. What it, what it, explain it. So what is the difference then, the primary difference? Yeah, so the, the primary difference, I would say, is during the regular season, the depth of your team carries you through 162 games. Mm -hmm. It's so grueling. Mm -hmm. There's so much attrition from a performance standpoint and also from a health standpoint. So you get a lot of performance out of your third, fourth, and fifth starting pitcher. Yeah. You get a lot of performance out of your bench offensive players. Mm -hmm. By and large, in the postseason, you rely less on those guys. You're relying more on your superstars, your core yeah. players, your one through nine in your lineup, your one, two, and three starting pitchers, maybe three or four guys in the pen. Mm -hmm. In this regular season, you need all 25 of your players and then some to get through. Our team in 2019 may have had the best performance from our third, fourth, and fifth starter. Yeah. We may have had our best performance from our 10th, 11th, 12th, and 13th position players relative to the league's performance. Once you get into the dance, once you get into the postseason, you really have to excel at the top end of your roster. That may be an area where we need to apply ourselves a little bit more as we're building this team to excel once we get in the playoffs, not just be satisfied once we get there. There was a time, I think, for the Minnesota Twins when just getting to the playoffs was an accomplishment enough. Yeah. I don't mean to diminish that accomplishment whatsoever. We'll never take that for granted. We're not entitled to play in the playoffs. Yeah. However, our goal is once we get to the playoffs is to kick some people's asses, <laughs> uh, if I'm allowed to say that. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and I think to a certain extent, historically, there was just this notion of it's kind of cute that the little old twins got to the, got to the playoffs. We want to 
instill some fear in some people when they're playing us and not just be the charming little story. I, I absolutely love it. The, the, uh, I almost think of looking at it, the floor and the ceiling. Like You can have a high floor to get you to the postseason, sure. but to win the whole thing, that's where your ceiling you know, comes into play there, what your high-end talent looks like uh, at that point in time. I love just talking to you and, and getting your passion. When you're when you're looking at players and you're looking to bring players in at the major league level or, or even going through the scouting process, is there is there some core traits, you know, personality traits that, that fit the twins and fit what you're trying to build and how do you find it? One of the primary traits we look for is talent. <laughs> that's a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah, we, that's, that's, that's kind of one of the ones we're leading with. Um, so I think I think to answer your question, I would look at an amateur player a little bit different from a yeah. uh, more established major league player. So to first talk about the amateur player, uh, we're charging our scouts nowadays. Uh, the game has evolved so much. Uh, we're actually asking them to look outside of baseball. We're yeah. telling them to go watch high school football games, college football games. We're, we're going to track meets. We're going to swim meets. We're going to volleyball games. We're asking our scouts, say, pick up the best athlete in the venue you're at and find out if he has any passion to play the game of baseball. And we're selecting those guys in the draft. We're taking chances on some of those guys. So I think we're trying to expand beyond just the horizons of the kid who is playing baseball year round and potentially getting burnt out on it. But we're looking for kids who have an ability to grow, an ability to learn. A kid, growth mindset is huge for our franchise. Mm -hmm. We don't want to take a finished product, whether that's a high school kid or a college kid. We're looking for somebody who has traits to grow and develop and the aptitude to do so. So not only are we watching them perform in the field, we're interviewing their coaches, we're talking to their parents, we're talking to their friends, their, their significant others, and asking them, what is this person like? How do they handle adversity? We wanna see that uh, in real time, whether that happens before we draft them or certainly in the minor leagues. Once they get into the minor leagues with us, we're taking every single one of these guys was the star on their team. Every yeah. single one of these guys hit third, fourth, maybe first if they were a certain profile of guys. Yeah. We're asking them to sit on the bench for a night, telling them, you are not playing today. Find out a way to help us win a baseball game tonight. Wow. Do something to help the guys around you win. And then on the major league side, I think the thing that we look most for, and obviously these guys cost a lot of money, yeah. is we're looking for heart and soul players. And by that I mean this is... I think every offseason I can buy muscle. Yeah. I can buy home runs. Mm -hmm. I can buy RBIs. I can buy innings pitched. I can buy wins. Mm -hmm. I can, those things are readily available. If I'm willing to pay the price, whether that comes in the form of a free agent contract or a trade acquisition, I can buy those guys. Mm -hmm. But I, I want the heart and soul player. I want the player who genuinely makes the players around them better. Mm -hmm. He invests in the, the growth and development of his coworkers and his players and his staff. If we can find those guys, you never let them go. And I think that's where you see guys like Kirby Puckett played his whole career in Minnesota, Cal Ripken. Yeah, Tony Gwynn right here. Tony, yeah. Tony Gwynn down here. You, you look at guys like Barry Larkin and Robin Yount. Like, there's a reason Derek Jeter played his whole career. There's a reason that Chipper Jones played his whole career in Atlanta. I'm not saying they weren't, but sometimes maybe they weren't the best player on their team. Sometimes they were, mm -hmm. but they were the most valuable. They were the guys who were most indispensable because they genuinely – elevated the level of play of everybody around them. Those are the guys that you just hold on to and sign at all costs. I want to piggyback on that for the last question. Uh, we had a thing we called it in scouting, we called it Red Star Players. So the last meeting before the draft, we would get out, we give every scout, area scout a sticker, and you can go up to anybody in your, in your area. We're not saying it's the best player you've seen. It might mm -hmm. be a first round pick, might be yep. a seventh round pick. But we give you one star. This is a guy I just want to bring into our organization. He's going to make us better. And you could really kind of stand on the table for the guy, put the star on his sticker. I'm curious, does anything like that go on for you guys when you're going through the draft process? It, it, exactly that happens. Yeah. So we have each area scout come in and present their area top to bottom, ranked typically by 
order in which they would like to take them in the draft, yeah. if the draft was constituted by nothing other than their area, then once we go through that exercise, we say, okay, now who are the guys on this board you really want? Yeah. And, and it's rarely one, two, three, four, and five. You know, mm -hmm. there's guys at different points in the draft that they absolutely, if we called you at the end of the draft and said, we got these three guys, who would they want, who do you want them to be? It's Once again, it's not always the guy they have on the top of their list. It's the guys that, as you just described, they feel are indispensable to the growth and development of our organization as a whole. Bucky, I think you get a chance listening to him. A, number one, he's really a smart guy, uh, very bright. But then I like the fact when he put that focus on every day you win or you lose. I mean, what a metaphor for life, right? Every day you wake up, you're going to either win the day or you're going to lose the day. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what it's all about. It's about learning how to compete and competing as a team. And we know with baseball, baseball is a marathon, 162 games uh, to get your team ready to go. You have to focus on really the micro. Can you win each and every day and just kind of build momentum by taking it a day at a time, a game at a time? Well, he mentioned there you can buy wins, but I want guys who make people better. Uh, man, that's a great thing to look for when you're building a football team is, is finding those guys that can bring up the level of everyone else around them, uh, something that the Twins, the Twins have done a very nice job of doing as they've rebuilt that franchise. All right, let's get to the next conversation here. This is with the former general manager Dan O'Dowd, currently an analyst on MLB Network. He was the GM of the Rockies from 1999 to 2014, so oversaw some fantastic offensive teams there uh, up in Denver. And, and just to a really, really, really bright, entertaining guy to watch on TV. I've enjoyed watching him from afar, but man, it was great to catch up with him and, and really uh, dug what he had to say. Here's our conversation uh, with Dan O'Dowd. First question, I get asked this all the time on the football scouting side of things. How did you get started? I mean, I started many, many years ago, but I started on the business side of the game with the Baltimore Orioles selling tickets in a little wooden ticket booth on 33rd Street at Old Memorial Stadium where the Colts played. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and back then the front offices were so small. Ended up in a scouting territory and um, worked in a front office, had a scouting territory in southern Maryland and northern Virginia, and then just worked my way up the ladder. So way different than today's game. I'd be curious about this because I remember my first year with the Ravens, um, to get your feet wet, it was you spent most of the time in the office, but they gave me 20 schools. So as an area scout and MLB, go back to when you began – taking into account high schools, junior colleges, colleges, like how many schools would you be responsible for in your area? I had a really tiny, small area because they were just trying to give me experience, actually trying to evaluate players. Mm -hmm. So I probably had uh, two dozen high schools, probably five colleges, a few JCs, not a large uh, area at all. But the scouts that have multiple states in our games – you know, How they, do they do it? Well, they've got to be exceptionally well organized. They had to set up a system of what I call scouting connections. So mm -hmm. bird dogs, coaches that they're comfortable with, travel team summer coaches. And, you know, no different than your job, Dan, when you start. It's about relationships. Yeah. The scouts that are really good developing and cultivating relationships, they're the ones that are the best in the industry because they get information. And, um, you know, I, I was a big believer in professional sports in general, there's a lot of fear-based scouting. So I really try to create a culture and environment where the scouts went in to look at players. They look for what players can do rather than what the players can't do. Absolutely. Ozzy used to say that all the time. You're in a meeting room. Eventually, he would cut you off and say, no, no, no. Yeah, he was good, I, too. I don't care. I don't care what he can't yeah, he do. He had some really good drafts do. in Baltimore, too. Really good drafts. Absolutely. When you, uh, when you go through the evaluation process with a player today, nowadays, 
What, what age is it starting where you're starting to put these kids on your radar a little bit and start monitoring through the process? You're going to be shocked when I tell you this, but it probably starts their um, freshman to sophomore year in high school. Come on. You start creating some follow lists. You start get a feel for body types. You know, a perfect game uh, has done a wonderful job organizing elite tournaments around the country that you, know, you can begin as you go to see your junior about to be a senior, you then can glance at that sophomore becoming a junior, and if it has to be an elite freshman that's playing with the sophomore, you'll get a you'll get a peek at him. Well, you know, kids that are committing to colleges now are committing. I have a son that's 18 years old that committed to Vanderbilt in his uh, eighth grade year going into his freshman year of high school. So, I mean, it really has moved the timetable up. I'm not saying I'm a huge proponent of that. Yeah. I'm just saying that's where the model is right now. One of the things we've talked to a bunch of college coaches, football coaches about is how, you know, with seven on seven and the proliferation of that, we've seen you know, the multi-sport thing kind of go away a little bit on the football side. As, as an evaluator, yeah. how much did you appreciate when guys played multiple sports versus the specialization we're seeing today? You know, and that's been a, a lot of talk and dialogue within the sports world altogether. You know, I think in sports we have a tendency to paint everybody with the same brush. Mm -hmm. So when you have an opportunity when you're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 to play multiple sports, I think that's incredibly valuable. You learn how to create teammates. Each sports has a different level of adversity that you have to grind through. Your body movements, patterns get developed a different way. Um, but unfortunately now, as you start to transition into high school, we are becoming a society where you do have to pick probably one sport you're gonna primarily focus on mm -hmm. and develop a skill set necessary within that sport or you're gonna get left behind. And do I think that's a bad thing? Yes and no. In high schools anymore, if you play sports that bookend, meaning if you play basketball that flows into baseball, that's a problem. Now, yeah. if you play football and then there's a winter break before you play baseball, that's more doable. Almost impossible to play three sports anymore if you're at a higher classification high school in our country. When you think about guys, the multi-sport guys, obviously we work with Dion all, all the time. We know about He's his pretty exploits. Good. Pretty yeah, good. He was a freak. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt. I mean, yeah. Bo, and you've got some of those. But in, in the game today, uh, of maybe some of the top players, anybody that stood out to you that you're going through the profiles and going through the background, you're like, oh, I mean, this guy was a phenomenal player in another sport as well. Well, Kyler Murray jumps out like, first of all, I have no doubt he would have been a great baseball player. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. He was, you know, baseball, you guys spend a lot of time in football worrying about height and size. <laughs> and, you know, baseball, there's all comes and shapes and sizes. Yeah. But he was, you know, baseball is a ground force reaction sport. Mm -hmm. Explain, explain that. Okay. See, football is a sport where, for me, when I look at it, it's a mobility sport. Mm -hmm. It's how your hips move. You know, in baseball, everything starts from your feet up. Your ankles have to be able to pivot hard, mm -hmm. and your, your quads and your, your hammies and your glutes really fire mm -hmm. through the sport. So he was like an incredibly explosive athlete, and his body movement patterns really, really worked in the game of baseball. Shorter arms, yeah. so I was a big believer. Good hitters, for me, always had a little bit of shorter arm because they can create a consistent bat path mm -hmm. through the zone guys that have a little bit longer arms, taller, a little leaner, longer arms, they have some holes in their swing because mm -hmm. of the leverage point. You know, I love bat. this, this I is know, fantastic. Yeah, this, we're two scouting nerds, this is all this, yeah, is all this is right about, now, I love this. I could talk about this stuff all day. So. <laughs> Football, and you know, you train for football in the off season. Football, yeah. you train core from the knee up through the chest, 
explosively. Yeah. And in baseball, you train the same way, but it's a totally different type of movement pattern mm -hmm. than football. So football, for me, creates some stiffness in the body mm -hmm. because it's more of a collision, explosive yeah. sport. Where baseball create, you have to have really exceptional, exceptional movement patterns to be able to have school skill. Think about a shortstop. Mm -hmm that has to cross over to his backside, circle a ball, throw off balance to be, be, be able to make a play at first base. Other than a quarterback in today's game, having to make that type of play, mm -hmm. there isn't any movement pattern that a football would be similar in football than that movement pattern from a shortstop. That is fantastic. Uh, another guy you obviously know well, Todd Helton. I remember watching him. I think Not I'm a great football. Now, he'll tell you he was a... He said, you know, I was a quarterback at UT until I got hurt, and then I became a clipboard operator because Peyton Manning. <laughs> he was pretty good. Peyton Manning took my job. Yeah, I don't think he, he said he was more of the option quarterback where yeah. Peyton was more of a drop back, pure thrower. Todd Held was born to play the game of baseball. His mm -hmm. eye-hand coordination, which is different. So when, you, when you're scouting a hitter, mm -hmm. you really have to see their ability to bring the bat to the ball anywhere in the strike zone. Todd Helton never missed a ball anywhere around the strike zone. And I'll tell you an interesting story why. So his dad, Jerry, was a bass fisherman. And they had a two-car garage. And Jerry used to park the bass boat on the right part of the garage. Mm -hmm. He used to flip Todd bottle, uh, bottle tops because Jerry liked to drink a little beer along the way too. Yeah. Todd had to hit the ball the other way. He could never pull a ball and hit the, hit, pull a little top and hit the bass boat. His dad would go crazy. <laughs> So Todd would practice at night with, he said, with a small wooden stick, like a broomstick. Yeah. He, he, Dad would flip him bottle caps. He'd have to hit line drives the other way, which developed oh his elite eye-hand coordination. Again, football, insane. not necessarily you'd yeah. ever really hear that kind of story as it relates to the development of their skill set. That is phenomenal. Uh, when you look at, at building a championship roster, Football, a lot of times we talk about building it up the middle. Same I, I know as baseball. Baseball, yeah, same no thing. Doubt. You yeah. want your best athletes up the middle. You want durable, strong pitchers up top. For me, the second most important position in the game is catchers mm -hmm. because they're the only position in the game that's involved in every single defensive play. It animates from, from their What about leadership role. at that position, the importance Tremendous. of it? Yeah. Not only leadership, re relationship, connection. The pitcher has to know that that catcher, he's the most, that pitcher has to be the most important person in his world, not his hitting. Mm -hmm. And so he can't be a real selfish guy. He's got to be very unselfish to a team environment. And then you want athletes up the middle. You want athletes. It's gotten less so with positioning and data in our game at second base. Mm -hmm. But you want an athlete playing short and you want an athlete playing center field. Where, where can the NFL learn from Major League Baseball right now on the personnel side, on the scouting side that can help us going forward? Um, yeah, I don't know the NFL model well enough to know that. I would say the holy grail of scouting in our game is still what's inside the package. You know, you can go out and nowadays with the metrics, you can evaluate exit velocity, you know, so much you can quantify. I love launch angle, but that's my favorite. I do and I don't, you know, I, I like. <laughs> I just love the term. Yeah, I, like I don't the know term, what, what yeah. you get, I just love the term. It sounds but really cool. I think what's similar in our sport and maybe different, ultimately at the end of the day, the what's inside a player's heart yeah. will ultimately determine if he bridges the gap between what his potential is and his actual performance. That's an area I still feel like our game has a long way to go in. Last question, I'll let you run. I talked to Steve Young one time about quarterbacks and toughest position for us to evaluate, and I asked for his, you know, give me the one thing. And he said, it's coming into the huddle and just having that over my dead body, are we going to lose this football game type of competitiveness? How do you identify that in a baseball player? 
I think you got to watch him play a lot. You know, I think there's wisdom and knowledge in our game. I think knowledge is something you can learn in a book, but wisdom is watching players play over a long period of time, making good decisions, making bad decisions. I get to a, a park you know, as my career matriculated. I watch the kid get off the bus. I watch how he walked with his bag. I watch how he put his bag down. I watch how he did his warm-up routine. I watch how he played his long toss. I watch how he interacted with his teammates every bit of the way. And then I hoped in that game he did something that absolutely stunk. Like he missed a play or he struck out in a key situation. Because that would provide insight for me into what, that, what his mental toughness to grind through adversity was all about. Buck, it's... Uh... It's, again, just a chance to learn from these guys. Dan O'Dowd talking about the multiple sports being so valuable for guys when they're young. Again, that's our gospel. We've been preaching it, and he's right in line. Yeah, he absolutely is in line with it. You talk about multi-sport guys, guys that develop a, a full athletic skill set, being able to do more cross-training, those things. I think the other thing that was interesting, he talked about building the team up the middle. I had a defensive coordinator, Dick Jerron, who also was a head coach in the league. He talked about building teams in every sport starts with that premise. If you're strong down the middle, you're probably going to have a strong team. No doubt. Um, it was a great conversation with him. I hope you've enjoyed all these conversations. And if you have, there's more to come because this is just wrapping up part A of the discussion. We have part B coming up on another podcast. You can look for that where we talk to players, Major League Baseball players, current coaches, and, and other guys who have been in the media and have been around the sport of baseball and have tremendous insight to offer. So be on the lookout for that. I hope you guys have enjoyed this little crossover episode. Uh, part two, again, you can find that on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Spentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. Com Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. 
Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com.